thanks for coming out. Uh, let's kind of start start with. Um, I know this is kind of a silly one on one question, but you know, I hear shoppable TV, and I grew up thinking Home Shopping Network, QVC. Right. You know, right. your your mother's or your father's shoppable TV. Um, can you give us a sense, given your expertise, how far we've come beyond that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I look before. TikTok made us buy it, it was QVC, HSN making us buy it. So in that context, the model isn't so new. It's a new generation driving it, and it's a new, new platform, which is yours, that are pushing it. No different than Instagram, no different than Pinterest. Um, not surprising that the social ecosystem picked it up first, because the socialization of behavior happens at rapid speed. It's everybody else who has to catch up. So the notion of shoppable first started with shoppable ads, rich media, that you can actually look at the ads are hot spotted, you can click to buy. I think people were figuring out what is the shortest road, route to close the last mile of conversion. It, we, you know, it's kind of a telecom term. It doesn't matter if you own the airways, but if you own the box that connects at home, you're the richest in the sandbox. I think the idea is that the person who can close the last mile on conversion or shoppable content is the one who will probably fare the best, to have community plus commerce. So what you see is this completion of the stack. And you and I talked about it. Companies are looking at what's missing in their stack. Amazon goes and buys whole food. They're missing a retail footprint in their stack. People are saying Amazon will probably buy a social network. No surprise, PayPal is making a play for Pinterest. So all the platforms, the first thing it says, well, we, the, the stack we need to complete is closing buyers. So we need commerce. So you start to see platforms start to look at, well, how do we create content that's shoppable? Easy to start with editorial. Men's Health Magazine, one I read, constantly recommends you know, products. The only thing that's missing is click to buy now. You, you've taken the advertorial, now do something with it. So it's no surprise that it started with that, a journalistic approach of blurring the lines and saying, hey, we, we're making all these recommended. I mean, that's better than brand entertainment, quite frankly. Um, so the notion of shoppable TV was the next thing to come. It, it's a little surprising it took them so long, but I think social, the social, social ecosystem made it almost mandatory. Okay, um, just, just to understand my terminology, uh, should I conflate last mile with bottom of the funnel or not? Or is that, are we talking two different things? Yes, absolutely. And look, for, for those who like the term, love the term, hate the term, I'm always about the consumer is the only one who gets to win. Anybody in the middle can lose. An agency can lose, a media property can lose, a channel can lose, a you know, a supply chain can lose. Clients make a product, brands make a product, they got something they want to buy it, the CMO says sell as much as you can. So when you start thinking about closing last mile, yes, what they want to do is find a buyer. They don't want to find programming, they don't want to find content. Brands aren't in the TV show business. I've checked. <laughs> so they make potato chips, they sell insurance, they make cars, the list goes on and on. So that needs to be the focus. And that was to the point that the gentleman before me talked about, well, what is reach? Reach means nothing. A CMO wants consumers, and a lot of them, as many as possible. Now, is there a reach in there? Sure. But does it really matter if reach wasn't even a term anymore? Absolutely not. Fair point, fair point. Um, another thing that Jesse Math said earlier, uh, he, he really came down hard on the, the notion of the QR code. I was going to ask you about the QR code, which kind of, you know, was this kind of strange thing we heard about years ago. It kind of disappeared. Suddenly it's back in some form. Um, you know, 
does how much does that play a role in the ability of shoppable TV to come to life? Yeah, it was fun. it's funny. The QR code had unfortunate timing, and the fact that when it came about, it was poorly executed. People would scan it, and it'd link out to a URL. Not really a dynamic experience. I could have clicked on a banner, did the same thing. What was the point? It was a novelty. It's like a UPC code gone sideways. So, a few marketers did it right. You know, Ford was one of those companies that had it expand into video. So you'd have a brochure with four QR codes, four videos of the car. That's, that's how you do it. So when I look at it today, now it's other than the, the utility of in restaurants uh, in a contactless environment where a QR code can be as a gateway, um, makes sense. But when I look at it as a conduit for connected TV, well, you should probably just buy more clickable inventory so that someone could click and actually go versus having to scan a QR code. And I think what we talked about was screen time. The average QR code is on the screen, I don't know, five seconds. How long does it take the human brain to process? That's it. Get your phone out. Have Siri not disrupt you and try to do something else to actually get it on frame to scan. It's over. You're into the next four commercials by then. So when I look at that, I'm like, yeah, the human brain doesn't really compute much faster. So the utility isn't more optimal. Um, I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with the fact that it's used. I mean, hey, it's an option for set-top TV exposure, non-clickable, nothing wrong with having it to see what the behavior is. But the reality is you probably should just buy against audiences accessing via mobile device where you can get response rate, where you can drive to mid to lower funnel, as they say, where you can actually gauge, are you speaking to the right people? I, I'm flattered by people who run CTV, OTT, and none of it's clickable. And I'm like, well, how do you even know if it's working? Viewer completion rate is not a metric. That's like viewability. I should get viewability. I should get brand safety. I should get viewer completions. Otherwise, I'm dealing with the wrong partners, talking to the wrong consumer. Yeah, it's table set. Right. So the QR code doesn't bridge all that. Uh, so I think it's a nice novelty. Is it the answer? No. You should actually just plan differently. Well, and, and not to stick too much on the technology side, but that device in your hand right now, the smartphone, seems to, uh, I mean, from, from my observation as a journalist, it, it seems the smartphone has really changed everything. Um, how much is that an important element to the rise of shopping? Uh, tremendously. If you're 16 and other, this is the television. Yeah. Okay, there is no other. Uh, maybe you go to an iPad, maybe not. Probably not even a PC. So the portability is what is going to accelerate shopping TV uh, when you start thinking about the context of a mobile device. The fact that we are always shopping now. I don't, I don't think there's anybody not always shopping. You know, we're getting text messages. We're and essentially work from home. We're just we're blending shopping time. Shopping is not an event. Oh, I'm going to do it this weekend. I'm going to do it after 5 o'clock. No, it starts as soon as we wake up. So when you start to think about how we are always shopping, we, don't, we can't always shop through the TV, it's not always on. We can't even always shop through a PC because we're actually trying to unplug. But the one device that we're taking into every urinal, then that's gonna be the device that's gonna accelerate always, this notion of always shopping, and that's the power essentially behind it. Not only the fact that you, know, you can get a, a, a you know, 4K TV at Best Buy, 60 inches for less than a smartphone. I mean, that's just the world we're in. Yeah, it's kind of uh, right. So, with, I mean, there's, there's massive parity, and then the smartphone just accelerated fast in your other sort of in-home electronics. This has now become the hub. So when you think about that, the power of it is to build a shoppable ecosystem around the device that people leave with first. Uh, and, and, you know, we didn't talk about this uh, last week, but it came up this morning, the whole notion of, of audio. Yes. Um, you know, Alexa and the like. That, um, 
still seems relatively unproven, but do you see results from it if, if used? Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing about audio. When you do a Google search, depending on how far you deep crawl, you get 10, 50, 500 results. You do audio, you get one. So that's good, one. Right? That's good, right? <laughs> one per category. As long as you're the one. Yeah, yes, as long as you're the one. I don't think people understand what that really means when it, there is no competitive landscape. You have dominant ownership. Um, that's just like when you meet you know, a rich tycoon, you're like, yeah, he owns the city, he owns the sports team, he owns the skyscraper, this and that. You're like, what did he do? Just buy it in the 20s when it was a fire sale? I mean, that, that's the idea about audio. The other thing about audio is the recall in audio, in particular podcasts, is stronger than even their medium because we retain what we hear more so than what we see. The reaction to what we see visually is almost like a coupon. Oh, I gotta go get it now. But in the look back window, audio can last an infinite amount of time. We see that with uh, store visit tracking we do for one of our clients to, against their dealerships. Everyone who comes through via mobile, sees an ad, visual, comes through in the campaign window. For audio, it's in the look back window, post campaign when the dollars are turned off. So that's the power of audio over visual because of how our brains are wired and the fact that it's more natural to speak sometimes than to actually read. So when you think about that, the question is, where, where does shoppable audio come into play after shoppable TV has proven itself and become a mainstay? Hmm. Interesting. Um, pause here quickly. Anybody have any questions for Albert? I got plenty more, so. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of what we just talked about got totally put on steroids as a result of the pandemic. Everybody being at home, everybody had to shop right. uh, in a completely different way. Um, once the effects of that kind of start to fade and we return to some semblance of normal living, how does shoppable maintain its momentum? Yeah, the interesting thing about COVID was it turned off part of the value chain of human behavior. You know, people would go in store, like Best Buy, you browse, nobody buys in Best Buy. You go home and buy it online, especially if you find it cheaper. You just want to trial the product, see what it looks like, touch it, feel it. And certain people would shop online, right, right, and say, you know, I gotta, I gotta see it in person, make sure it's it, and go and buy in store. So the journey got disrupted when the only thing you do is stay online. And then new behaviors get worn in. They say, you know, after 30 days, a new behavior can become permanent. So you have people fixated in the fact that I'll just stay in the digital journey or stay in there longer. So now you have four journeys, purely physical, purely digital, the combination starting physical, going to digital, starting digital, going to physical. I mean, that's, that's substantial when you think about behaviors 20 years ago, is you, everything was physical. So you had one. And that's just giving it a high level, what you're talking about. So the notion of COVID allowed people to time shift how they want to now pick their time, even though the options have returned, saying, okay, I can just shop online digitally and spend my physical time doing things that I just couldn't get to that I actually still need to do in person. Like I gotta go to the cleaners because that's the most equitable way of getting that executed. I gotta drop off the dog. Um, I mean, sure, I know we all have courier services, all that, so we're just gonna be sitting in a command center at our homes. But the reality of it is, is that's the difference now with what COVID has made. It's opened up a series of new swim lanes in terms of the customer journey. And I don't even mean the purchase process, I mean the entire feedback loop of how to re uh, retrieve or procure product, and then if I have an issue, how I can return it going back. So that, that means things like Omnichannel have a completely new meaning than how media was misusing the term. It became a term almost just to sell, 
we need to be omnichannel, so we need more projects because we got to be in 10 swim lanes now. Now they have to start to understand how the different channels feed into and always shopping or not. What channels are shoppable? Like, that's a human behavior. I'm very big about, do people do that? Like, do what they really do, not what you are trying to contrive them to do. So that's the disruption that COVID gave is, is in, you know, I would tell clients, like, you need to completely reset all your thinking. All the behaviors are shifted. Matter of fact, even the pixels on websites, that behavior is not even relevant anymore because that was based on a certain type of user session pre-COVID that post-COVID doesn't look anything alike. So, I mean, marketers really need to retool and rediscover how the consumers are discovering them. And to the point I said earlier, hey, number one, don't do the thing you did last year. You absolutely can't do in 2021 what you're doing in 2020, 2019. I mean, we have clients say 2020 wasn't even the real year. Let's compare it to 2018 and 2019. Yeah. And, and that's a beginning, but there's more to get there and really understand as we go into what is going to be the 2022, 2023 picture. So, so part of that, and you, you just mentioned feedback loops before, is is the state of measurement of this and, and measuring kind of the, the effectiveness of it. Um, you know, getting that sales needle to move, uh, you know, at least as much as you want, if not more. What, what's needed to advance the state of measurement uh, in the world of shopping? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is you have to start with the basis of video and look at mobile display. So it takes, you know, CTV It's probably the prime example. It's reached parity with mobile. I mean, the level of audience targeting layer, data signals, use of live brand, first party data, uh, you wanna bolt on uh, search enhanced signal, uh, social, do some social signaling, it's equal if you're working with the right partner. So the idea is that the measurement can be one-to-one. -one. Now, will the outcomes be? Not necessarily. But can the measurement be as a framework to understand and discover what the, uh, the tendencies are? Absolutely, and that was kind of to my point about you know spending 100% of your budget on non-clickable, non-respondable inventory, and just expecting lift. Okay, I, I don't know if that's an approach. I don't know what CMO said. We can keep doing that. I mean, the whole purpose of digital is to reward what digital does that broadcast can't, not just mimic it like broadcast. So when you think about when we, you know, the partners we work with will say, I only want to target people who are searching for the brand or key competitors. So I need a search enhanced signal. I only wanna uh, speak to people who are social signal, like they're talking about it. They're, they're in that core consumer set I want. They need to be talking about it or talking about a competitor. I mean, there's a series of things you can just sort of bolt on to CTV the same way you've been able to do for mobile for years. I mean, I remember working with uh, Trimmer Video when they were at Yumi, and I said, call me when CTV gets to parity mobile display, and they were like, we're very close. This was the year they had just started offering behavioral targeting. Behavioral was massive when it came to digital, starting with display. Uh, and then it came to CTV, and then now it's, it's in audio. I mean, it's going to move across. I mean, look, this is only a matter of time between the, box, the dots of technology get connected. That's what you need. You need to be waiting, not assuming it's not going to happen. So then when it does come, you can start to test and learn very early and understand the parity between what is shoppable TV going to get you versus some of your or core strategies like paid social, uh, shoppable search, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what you're not seeing. You're not seeing clients move things in and out of importance and ranking based upon what they're discovering. They're just making these assumptions and taking it for what it is. Uh, and that's why I think a lot of it, just, that's why the investment is only 15%. People are like, okay, well this is the digitized version of linear TV. Not really, but that's, that makes it easily sellable. And look, part of that problem is that's the technology companies because it's less accountability from an ad tech perspective. It's agencies, it's less accountability. And 
for the brand side, it's less accountability. I mean, the reality is there's a lot of fear around this notion of accountability. Shoppable TV is that. It's accountability to the degree that you can create a moment. And I think Google talked about these micro moments years ago and you know, the fact that there are no sessions anymore. It's 150 moments stitched together to perform an impression about a decision. And that's where we are. So Shoppable TV has to be about capturing moments. Because the thing that HSN and QVC had that TikTok doesn't need is user sessions where people watching it for an hour straight. Because they just want to watch it like this and see all the travel bags that are coming down as discounts. That's not the <laughs> consumption pattern on TikTok. And it's like that. So that that's a completely different orientation. We don't have a captive an audience. Uh, you know, if you were to look at power users, yes, yeah. because I think there's always, well, who's churning it? Like, who's churning the internet? It's always younger people um, by nature, uh, but there's, there's a lot of clickers out there, not buyers. So you have to distinguish between users and buyers. So if you had to say, uh, probably skews relatively uh, female, more than not, um, probably within the age of, you know, I'd say 18 to 35, because mm -hmm. uh, you have to think about who has disposable time and income. Uh, beauty is probably a massive category, a category where there's a tremendous amount of trial and a tremendous amount of word amount and sharing secrets, or if you want to call them life hacks, whatever the term makes sense. So I think there is, and look, I think if you were looking at the model, there are categories to look who've done it well or experiment very fast, as they say, fail fast, and innovate even quicker. You know, those are the ones you can look at the model to understand, okay, well, how do we apply this to banking or gaming or something that's a little bit more traditional? I think the pearls of it is that people are just waiting too long. The idea is you want to figure it out before you need to be there. A lot of industries, they just kind of go kicking and screaming, and it's not till someone's given a mandate and it's a threatening of the profitability of the bottom line. It's the notion of it's not painful enough, so they're not doing it yet. When it gets very painful, then they're going to do it. And there are categories like, no, we want to define this. We want to write the rules of engagement. Yeah. At the beginning, and look, there just needs to be more clients. Beauty category, kind of at the absolutely, tip of the spear. absolutely. Yeah. It, but brands just need to say, we want to write the rules, rules of engagement for ourselves, or so before someone hands them to us. And there's not even enough of that notion. So I think there's you know, one of the things that I was on a panel before. I said, look, shoppable TV or the notion of new fronts. Let's call it everything streaming can teach upfronts because if you run around similar programming, you can start to gauge the environment where there is measurement, where there is response, whether the environments where it isn't, does that now make sense? Have you been around verticals, categories, shows that you probably shouldn't be around that you've been spending and had no idea because you thought it worked? That digital or shoppable TV can teach you, you know what, that doesn't work or doesn't work for these kind of outcomes. So it serves a specific purpose, not just throwing all this money into the ether and thinking and looking at the high and low. There's a lot of clients who say, oh, we spent $400 million, uh, we got 2% sales lift. It's working. It's like, okay, maybe the word of mouth engine is better, and that's just what's working, but this is all wasteful. You know, again, brands need to be on this journey of discovering the waste as a continuous improvement of their marketing toolkit, and that's what you just don't see, that intellectual curiosity. The, the adjusting based on what those short-term results are coming back at you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, there's also been a lot of talk about kind of the, uh, not more than talk, a lot of action, major retailers getting into the media space. Yes. 
from the Walmarts, the Targets, the Kroger's. Um, is, does retail media expand this market and world? Is it the competition? Can you help place what, what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It does expand it, and it is the competition. And here's why. I mean, if you were to say to the average person, you, you say to the average person retail media, they would get it. If you start naming the companies in it, you know, Gimbal, uh, Shop Advisor, In Market, never heard of them. Because they're so used to the trade desk or it's Sander. It's someone who's branded, who's on all these panels and forums. And, you know, let's just say they're a major sponsor of all the trades and all their events. So that's the narrative. Those companies don't do any of that, they're out there making money. They're not lobbying around what should be, and that's also part of the problem. Like you have to get beyond, as one of the guys on the panel, the BS of what's being sold to what actually is being made and built. So these companies, you know, have been doing it for such a long time. Um, so what happened? You know, you get Meredith, you get Kanye and asked, like, look, we've been editorially writing about reviews of products. We should probably bolt up a shopping cart. Oh, Shopify, that's a good one. And then see if there's a click to commerce. Because we can go to a brand and say, not only get the eyeballs, we get the consumers who buy. Because, again, a brand is selling product to a consumer. They're not in the magazine business. They really don't care how glossy the pages are. I mean, they, someone does from an approval standpoint because they like the book, but nobody else really cares. They're trying to find a consumer. So this is why retail media is so huge because brands are going to wake up and say, oh, we can spend money with people who could just find us the consumer? Oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense than someone who can find us pages. And this is our signature edition. Exactly. And I think part of the problem is you start to understand, and I would talk to you know, TV networks we work on, and I said, okay, we only sell this many cars. My client is Lexus, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if you even contribute 2% of that. Let's just be real. You don't contribute 50%. That, that's not even a thing. So because you're not, it's not like you're Walmart and you're the store, you're the box where everything is sold so everyone's walking in. It's Walmart's retail media. That's a, that's a totally different strategy. That's viable to say, hey, our client sells most of their stuff in your footprint. You've got 5,000 stores. We need to be running across your platform because you have the audience, the store. You're the value chain. That's why they're so dangerous when they own the value chain. So the other trades, you know, kind of as, and like, you know, they say, oh, you know what, we, we have to be in that game or we could just get pushed out or it just makes more sense for Walmart to buy us. So then they have the store, the consumers, and they have the magazines that pull them in. And again, that's that notion of the stack missing. Retail media companies said, okay, the stack is missing, commerce. We have a, you can buy the same mobile display database, 250 million households, the same way you can buy a direct marketing database of all the email or home addresses. They did that, because I've asked them, like, how do you do this? Oh, we just buy that same backing everybody else buys, but we are able to target people when they walk down aisle six. Score, okay? That's how you put a regular mobile DSP out of business. Like, what's a, you know, a brand is a stupid. Clients figure it out eventually, and that's the decision they're gonna make. And that's why we work with some of those partners because they have a distinct advantage and an integration into CVS, Walgreens, uh, Rite Aid, Lowe's, Home Depot to measure direct sales lift because that's what a CMO wants to sell more product and measure lift. They don't want to, a CMO doesn't want to measure clicks. They don't want impressions. They don't. That stuff is not sellable to the CFO. You have to start thinking about how the top marketer is going to keep their job get off this 18-month tenure to, let's see if we can get it to 36, maybe 48. That's a good story. I mean, I'm just saying what it is that is the conversation that is the real one. 
versus the one that often in this business got manufactured. Okay, thank you. Before we, uh, we're almost out of time, does anybody have a question for Albert? Okay, then my last question. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. So where are we with uh, buying Rachel's dress from friends, right? That, that's the example that everyone you, you said where are we with what? Rachel's dress from friends, buying Rachel's <laughs> dress from friends. That's the, like the quintessence of right. what Shop Full is about. I know NBC's talked about it a, a bunch, but do you see that in this world, or is that? I, I do, and the reason is is that once we get to a point of shoppable TV or, or just everything shoppable, then it's gonna be, why can't I buy that? If somebody, um, uh, Miss J from Tyra Banks, top model, launched an initiative called um, Crypto Couture. And I said, wow, it'd be an amazing idea if he could, in all respect to the artists that are deceased, if he could get old garb from Prince or Michael Jackson, like, they're talking about Michael Jordan's underwear and socks selling and stuff. I, I think the Prince Michael Jackson stuff is a lot more valuable. I think that's just where it's going to go. How can I get now my favorite memorabilia, and it'll probably be on a, you know, an NFT, a non-fungible token, as a means of doing it. But I think the idea is that that's, that's what it's going to be. When we worked on Black Panther, a lot of what was celebrated was the wardrobes because it, it was never seen before. And it was a bit future forward, but very sort of African centric. And it was, there was a lot of interest around, you know, some of the patterns and the materials. Um, and that was part of the storyline. Uh, what didn't happen wasn't, there wasn't a merchandising strategy for it. Like I want what King T'Challa has like, but I think we're going to go there. Someone figured out how to operationalize it. Now here's the thing. Shoppable means you need a portal, a portal, a gateway through to actually consume it. That hasn't been developed yet. Is Marvel there? No. If Marvel gets there, yes, we're there. Uh, will a QR code come on in the middle of a screen? I, I probably hope not in the middle of a movie, but may there be a means in which you can figure out and you want that item? Absolutely, maybe you just hold up your phone, it earmarks or watermarks, it pulls it down and drops it into you know, some sort of book on your phone, you know, some digitized, and then you can inquire about it. I think we will get there. Look, I remember guest lecturing at uh, NYU years ago, and I'm like, the Minority Report, all that tech is here. It's just too, it's just too expensive right now. A motion gesture gloves all that stuff it's here we'll see how long it takes and i think it was probably about 10 years ago i was actually speaking of but i'm like you'll see it slowly slowly emerge and we're getting there you know i think when you look at the patents by magic leap you're like okay somebody's working on all this stuff you see the notion of the metaverse so some of it is we're going to yeah we're going to accelerate even past that uh but all this stuff is just kind of sitting waiting for the economies of technology to make it affordable to scale it and put it in the hands of everyone Thank you. I wish we had more time. Thank you so much. Everybody, please give Albert Thompson a hand. Thank you. Okay, folks, I think we are going to uh, break for lunch now, uh, which is just 